This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today for the first time on the show, he is one of the hosts of the podcast Who Booked This on Pro Wrestling Only and an occasional writer for Voices of Wrestling. It's J.R. Goldberg. J.R. Oh, welcome I, to the show. I, thank you. Oh, yeah, you ruined it. God, <laughs> I totally Start, ruined it. Starting so, over, started over. Started over. <laughs> so it's funny that you that I completely screwed that up because uh, Stephen and I recorded an episode yesterday where we talked for minutes about how like guests routinely mess up their cues and just like <laughs> jump in and just talk over people. So ah. do it is uh, serendipitous, I suppose. Yes, a little bit of uh, dramatic irony, I, I think. Yeah, I guess in that so. sense, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's good to have you here. Um, it, it is actually nice to have someone on, on the podcast uh, who has two wrestling names, JR and Goldberg. It's so it's true. for a wrestling podcast, that too is serendipitous, I, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree. The only wrestler who's ever commented on my name is Tim Donst, who, uh, who said, you know, said my name one time and then was like, oh, that's a pretty good wrestling name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was sort of a, you know, for a time, it was sort of a running gag in the VOW Slack chat, where someone would be talking about, of course, a a certain Oklahoman wrestling <laughs> announcer, and be like, God damn it, JR just stinks. Yeah. And you'd be like, and you'd be like, I'm sorry, guys, I, I can't help it. I'm, I, what, what did I do? And, <laughs> and we, we would all giggle and guffaw. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And, I sometimes uh, do that, that same gag on Twitter. Uh, like yeah. <laughs> especially on nights when he does the New Japan broadcasts, and mm-hmm. my entire feed will just be my friends being like, "Jr. fucking sucks!" Like, <laughs> and you're sitting there like, "God, not again!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always know when he's on television. Let's put yep. it that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the last name Goldberg. I mean, if I'm being honest with you here, Jr., I was going to introduce you on this episode. Much like Sid Vicious would, where it would be, please welcome J.R. Goldberg. Goldberg, where are you? Why me? Why? But out of respect for you, kind sir, I went for the more dignified approach. That's all right. I, I mean, uh, dignified is never really something that uh, that I've gotten before, so I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. But uh, seriously, though, it is cool to have you on the show here, and uh, it's appropriate, I'd say, because... This episode, the subject du jour, has to do with the world of Lucha Libre. And I can I consider you to be quite well-versed with Lucha Libre. So before we get to the topic at hand, um, I guess I'll ask you this question. How did you get into wrestling? And then how did your taste buds skew towards the Lucha section of the buffet, shall we say? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's um, – so I got into wrestling – um, probably at around the same time that a lot of people my age did. I'm 34. Um, and I, uh, I got into wrestling, uh, during the attitude era, like the, the later part of the attitude era, you know, 98, somewhere around there, 97, 98, I would say. Um, 
I, uh, I tell people this uh, that are a bit younger and they, they sort of laugh because it's so foreign to them. But I got into wrestling because it was what the cool kids liked at school. And uh, I thought that if I watched pro wrestling, then I would be able to hang out with the cool kids. Um, which worked for a time. For a little bit, uh, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, but- <laughs> You know, unfortunately, because like I really enjoy wrestling and I'm like a bit of um, like a nerd obsessive about the things that I like, like I got way more into it than they did. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I clearly like just blew past the line of like what was acceptable. Like, you know, I had that like, you know, a couple months sweet spot where like we all liked Stone Cold and, and The Rock and The Undertaker and whoever else. And then, like, I was like, yo, I need to see more. And, you know, I was ordering tapes and all this other stuff. And they didn't really want to hear about that part. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I got into wrestling um, at that time. Um, I never really had a lapse like a lot of other fans did. I've, I've pretty much liked wrestling straight through. Um, I mean, obviously, there's times, and I think this is totally natural, um, where... I don't think the the product has been as good or whatever, you know, um, but I've always enjoyed it. I've always followed it. Even when I haven't had a TV or whatever, I, I've tried to follow along online. Um, I, uh, I got into Lucha um, after discovering uh, the Death Valley Driver video review uh, message board. Um, which was a, a big formative part of my fandom from you know, 2006 to 2013 or 14, when I first uh, discovered Twitter, and that sort of took over after that. Um, but uh, over on those boards, you know, I I was a big ROH fan at the time. Uh, like, I really loved ROH, and I stayed a big ROH fan until 2008, 2009. Um, but after my fandom in ROH waned, I uh, wanted to you know, I mean, uh, something else sort of needed to fill the void. And I, um, the writers that I admired or the posters that I admired on Death Valley Driver um, were uh, predominantly ones that watched a lot of Lucha or at least reviewed Lucha. Um, like uh, Phil Schneider was writing a lot about Lucha. Um, Eric R., Matt D., uh, you know, all, all really enjoyed Lucha and talked about Luchadors. Um, and I think that once I got into it, um, I think that it resonated with me um, in a narrative sense, uh, in ring, more than a lot of the Japanese wrestling did or American wrestling did. And so I just sort of uh, devoted myself to it and watched as much as I could. Cool. Yeah. See... When it comes to me and Lucha, I'm not the total opposite of you, but I'm kind of a ways away from it, you know, because I know a lot of Lucha names, and I've seen a bunch of matches over the years, but when it comes to watching it, like, on on a consistent basis, I've never been able to get into that groove. Um, Nothing against Lucha, of course. It's just that I never never got that spark. But that said, you know, I love Phoenix. I love Pentagon Jr. I love Dragon Lee. Uh, I think the subject of today's episode, which we'll get to in a moment here, is is cool as all hell. So yeah. you know, that's that's where I kind of stand on Lucha. Uh, no big bonfire passion for it, but little embers here and there that free over individual guys, I'd say. 
I'll say this, you know, and I think that's totally fine. I mean, I think that the best thing about the time period we live in for professional wrestling is that you really can treat pro wrestling as a buffet line, right? And, um, you know, you can, uh, you can just pick and choose the performers that you want or the styles that resonate with you. And you don't have to watch week to week television. Um, the one thing that I'll say, uh, uh, sort of, I think probably holds Lucha back compared to a lot of other styles is, um, we have so comparatively little footage, uh, when you compare it to America or Japan, you know, for Japan and America, we basically have everything on tape past the mid eighties, you know, and Lucha's really, really spotty. And so I think there's a lot of really great performers. We have to make assumptions and leaps and go based on uh, the footage that we have. Um, and uh, I think the story may be different if we had sort of complete careers for a lot of these guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of tough when there's no actual footage to see this stuff, you know? It's kind of sure. hard to get into it if you can't. Unless you're actually going to the shows live, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of hard to, you know, even know, know who these guys are at all. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's for the people who, you know, go to sites like Voices of Wrestling or Pro Wrestling Only or you know, our little groups of fans on Twitter uh, or people who listen to this podcast. I mean, I think that there's a we're a subsection of fans that like in some way to be completionist, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that it turns a lot of people off that they're trying to watch an entire feud or watch an entire year of something that they watched one match of they want to see more then they find out they can't you know mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty tough yeah yeah now um when it comes to wrestling music has that been a uh-huh. big a big part of your uh fandom as well so when uh when i first got into wrestling um you know in the in that attitude era um the the CDs were coming out and like, I think the first one I bought was, um, the WWE, the music volume three, I guess it was WWF, the music volume three at that time. Right. Yeah. Uh, It had like, uh, the, the Ken Shamrock's theme and like the, the, uh, new age laws, the rock X-Pac Kane edge. Yep. A lot of, uh, a lot of guys on it. Exactly. And uh, like, I, I mean, I played that CD a lot. I was really into it. Um, uh, and then um, during my ROH days, like the the music of ROH was like a really big part of my fandom. Like, I love copyrighted music and wrestling shows. I think it adds a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, I mean, I, I think music is an integral part of pro wrestling. Entrances are an integral part of pro wrestling. And, um uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a very important part of my fandom. I, I mean, it's an important part of my Lucha fandom, too. I love some of the music that come out, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. I will say, uh, funny enough, there was a period of time where if I tweeted anything related to the podcast or to prospective topics, chances are, JR, you would tweet at me something to the effect of, will you be talking about Matt Seidel? <laughs> Coming out to Clavicle by Alkaline Trio. That was that was pretty much your only concern about this podcast for quite a long time, I'd say. Which when you invited me on, when I got a DM from you, I assumed it was because we were about to do a Matt Seidel episode. I mean, fair enough. It's a pretty big deal, you know. It, it, yeah. Perhaps there will come a day 
when we discuss that. But it ain't going to be today, JR. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> imagine if LA, uh, imagine if the person yes. <laughs> that we're doing the podcast for today had come out to Clavic. Uh, this would be the best episode ever, I'd say. Yeah, Hands it would down. be the best episode ever. Yeah, yeah. So what we will be talking about today, like I mentioned earlier, has to do with Lucha Libre. Uh, specifically, the theme history of a certain legendary luchador, one of the most popular wrestlers in Mexico, dare I say, one of the most popular wrestlers in North America, perhaps. You probably knew him best as the chairman of WCW, La Parca, back in the 90s. But today, this dancing skeleton man travels the long and winding road of pro wrestling known simply as L.A. Park. And funny enough, JR, again, when I asked you last week if you wanted to come on the show and talk about the themes of L.A. Park, I had no idea that just a few days later, you would actually be seeing the guy wrestle in Atlanta and also meeting him at the merch table. I saw the photo yeah. that, you, that you tweeted out where it's you and him, where he's wearing like this, <laughs> the Elliot Park, uh, was it the apron, which looked pretty, looked pretty cool. I did yeah. Apron. yeah. What was it like yeah. meeting him? Um, it was cool. I mean, we didn't really talk, you know, it's hard to interact with Luchador, which is not great, especially talking it. Um, most of the time their English is not great either, or they just are not interested in speaking English. Um, so, uh, but I mean, uh, he was doing business. They so they did. Um, if you've never been to a lucha show before, which Mucha Lucha Atlanta very much is, um, uh, they do not really have a, a ton of respect for the audience's time. <laughs> There's like lots of time in between matches and multiple intermissions. So they sort of they took an intermission. Purely to announce that L.A. Park was going to be by the entrance uh, selling merchandise. Um, so there was sort of like a mad dash to, to meet L.A. Park and buy merch because it wasn't guaranteed that he was coming out after the show or anything like that. Um, there was like a pretty long disorganized line um, and, they were, and they tried to make two lines for people, like one line for people who wanted to buy birch and one line for one, for people who wanted to take photos. And that didn't work out. So then it just sort of became like a... A, a mush. A blob. Yeah, a, a giant mush blob, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he uh, he was selling stuff. I uh, He did not take any photos that his son was not in, which was... I saw uh, that too, yes. El Ijo de LA Park. Got his shit in, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was there and he was in that picture with me. Um, poor guy. He's just not as cool as his dad. Uh, who, who is, to be honest with you? Come on, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I would love to meet Ellie Park and, and say you know, hello to him at least and just you know be in the same room as the guy because yeah. you know, he, he just has this presence surrounding him, this, this, this buzz, this magnetism that just attracts you to the guy. It, it's kind of indescribable, you know? How, some guys you just can't help but focus on. And Ellie Parker's one of those guys. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would say that he and Jushin Liger are the two most physically charismatic performers that have like the full body. Full body yeah, yeah. And that like they're that they're they're in a class of their own in terms of like how much they are able to emote and how many different things they're able to express with so little of their body showing. Yeah, I mean, I think 
uh, Joe Lanza mentioned this once when he went to um, – it was a show where he saw L.A. Park Russell live. He said that you know when he enters the room, the atmosphere just changes. And oh, yeah. all eyes are immediately focused on him and what he's going to do. And that is a tremendous gift to have in wrestling, uh, JR. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, he, he's an incredible performer. He's incredibly charismatic. Uh, he's, and both of those things show just, and like, you know, show why he's the draw that he is, you know, why he's still drawing 10,000 fans to Arena Mexico. Why at a show in Atlanta that has zero press whatsoever through, you know, 12 to 1300 fans, you know? Yeah. I mean, Ten years ago, he did a show in Atlanta where they only did radio ads and flyers and he drew 5,000 people. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, he routinely draws thousand plus houses in little border towns in Texas. Um, I mean, he's probably the most underrated draw uh, as a wrestler of our time. I would also say that he's by far the best wrestler ever to do air guitar. Ooh, that's a... (laughs) Listen, man, you know me. I'm a New Japan fanboy here. It's a tough race, but he's a master. Don't get me wrong here, but... uh, But yeah... Team of that, that oh the best is so good. Him and Tanaha. I mean, even back when he was La Parka in WCW, he had a presence about him. You know, he wasn't he wasn't made of ending shows. Obviously, he was just a lower card cruiserweight guy. But still, he just had this unique way about him. You know, part of it was the look, of course, yeah. uh, the skeleton costume, the mask, um, his size. He didn't look like other wrestlers, and he was also a bit bigger than other cruiserweights were. Um, of course, <laughs> nowadays he's grown a bit bigger now, but uh, he's a, he's a, he's quite big-boned, shall we say, nowadays. But uh, he, he, he has a very large frame. Like, I, I was... I'm not a small guy or a big guy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty standard-sized, but, like, there are luchadors that I meet that I think are big on television that, like, I realize when I meet them, I am roughly the same size as, you know? Mm-hmm. L.A. Park is quite a bit larger. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he, you know, just frame-wise, like his shoulders are wider than me. He's taller than me. Like, L.A. Park would be, it, like, young L.A. Park when he was in shape. If he was in WWE now, he would be the size of, like, a, a like. I mean, he would be bigger than a lot of the guys there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's, but he could still move. He could still okay. do topes and dives and a lot of stuff. Yeah. And really, he's been using movement all throughout his career to help express his character. It wasn't just the fact that he was a wrestler. It was also the fact that he danced and he strutted. And like you said, JR, he was so expressive in his movements that it didn't matter if he had the mask and the bodysuit on. His personality shined through all of that. Uh, and of, of course, he had the chair. So, and when, and when you put a dancing skeleton man who swings a chair in a wrestling ring, you've got yourself a wrestler who people will remember and they will look forward to seeing. Yeah. It's interesting that, you you know, you talked about seeing him in WCW and how recognizable he is. I think if if you poll, uh, or if anyone listening to this, ca- uh, this podcast is roughly my age and sat around with their friends playing the N64 WCW video games... Um, they will nod along as I say that them and their friends at least once got in a fight over who got to be La Parca. Which, 
like really speaks to the performer that he is because it's not like Laparka was like uh, you know a a really well you know like pushed mm-hmm. guy in WCW. He was the man. Everyone knew he was the man. You know. And to his credit, he's tailed that presence into a very successful career. I, I mean, just look at this year alone. You know, oh, yeah. we we saw that on the CMLL Arena Mexico shows that when he was booked, attendance went way up. Um, he's had main event matches not just in CMLL, but also other companies like AAA, where he made event to Triple Mania, uh, yeah. The Crash, MDA, G21. He wrestled for MLW in the States not that long ago, and he's going to debut in AAW in Chicago pretty soon as well. I, I mean, And, the, and AIW, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the guy is everywhere. He's on so many radars. He's got people talking about him and buying tickets and tuning into broadcasts. So when I say that Elliot Park, this 52-year-old fat dancing skeleton man, is burning up the charts in pro wrestling these days, I'm not lying. And that's kind of why I want to do an episode about his themes, because right now he's such a hot topic. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you're absolutely right. I mean, of course, I'm going to agree with you. I think he's the wrestler of the year. I don't think that there's anyone who is clearly a draw in wrestling in 2018 as him in so many different places. I don't think that, um, you know, that, that, you know, you could probably argue, uh, depending on the style of wrestling that you like, there's other people that have had, um, you know, uh, matches that stack up to his. But I think that, you know, his resume this year is really unparalleled in terms of draw plus in-ring stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that to say that he's popular just because he's a meme wrestler or whatever uh, really does a disservice to just his profound popularity and his ability to still work at 52 at a immensely high level. Mm-hmm. So he's not taking nights off, you know? I mean, there are 52-year-old wrestlers that, are uh are significantly worse than him. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I I guess it does also help the fact that L.A. Park is a bit of a nomad, shall we say? He doesn't have any any substantial loyalties to one specific company. Uh, you know, it it helps that he goes to so many different places. You know, yeah. And how I did mean, as, as he so eloquently put it a couple of years ago? He said in an interview that he's too much of an asshole to to sign a contract with one company. <laughs> yeah. How did that uh, famous Temptations song go? Parker was a rolling stone. <laughs> Wherever he laid his skull was... Oh, sorry, I'll stop now. I'll stop yeah. now. Um, so yeah, I guess, JR, that uh, now is as good as time as any to discuss the themes of L.A. Park. So are you ready, good sir? As I'll ever be. All right, so we have eight themes to discuss today, and we're going to do this a little bit differently than normal. Um, Instead of doing it chronologically, I decided to split the themes into four distinct categories of songs. And the first category for today is called A Skull Boy Takes America. And these are themes that he's had in the two most prominent uh, American companies that he's wrestled for over the years, WCW and TNA. 
We'll start with his time in WCW, when he was still La Parca, uh, and still had the original mask and all that stuff. And his theme in WCW is by William Allen Bookheim, and it's from the Aircraft Music Library. It's called Parental Advisory Explicit Acts. Standard hard rock instrumental here from a production library, which, you know, it was kind of the status quo in WCW for a long time. Uh, just to pluck out a random song from a database and give it to a guy. And in, in this case, I think the song is, is pretty good, I, I think. It's, it's got some nice frantic guitar riffs in there, some wailing solos, a bombastic bass line as well. There's a lot of energy to the song. It, it's fast-paced. Uh, kind of gives me the same vibes as like a late era Rush instrumental, like something from like Vapor Trails or Test for Echo, that kind of sound. So I wouldn't call it the most memorable song in the world. I also wouldn't call it the most boring song in the world either. It, it's got enough pep in its step to where I sort of dig it. Um, what about you, JR? What do you think about this song? Yeah, you know, I, it's always a bit hard to, to describe, for me at least, to describe or write about songs that, that don't have lyrics in terms of, like, how they relate to a performer. But I agree with you. I, I mean, I think that this is a pretty good fit. Or, or rather, uh, perhaps it's a credit to Ellie Park as a performer, and it shows his strengths uh, and, you know, as a performer, um, that he makes this song a good fit. Um, you know, I think the musicality of the song it gives a vibe of a really high energy performer. There's no extended intro to it. It just sort of begins with this intense driving car. Um, the bass, like you said, uh, you called it bombastic, I think. You know, I think it's very present. Um, it, uh, to me, it almost reminded me of uh, like a Pantera-like quality in some way. Um, uh, I think also um, I read somewhere, uh, and it may have been in your notes too, actually, um, that uh, this song was originally Sabu's, correct? Yes, when he was in the company for like a cup of coffee in 95. For, for like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you hear this, you know, and Park coming out and headbanging and doing the chair guitar, I mean, it fits this music. He, he made an effort to make his entrance and his character uh, intertwine with it, which I think is really, really good. Um, you know, and I think it speaks to, to why he got over, you know, a lot of lesser performers probably would have had this song, but they would have done their same entrance that they did everywhere else or, or you know, just sort of come out and not made it fit. But as we go through this, I think it's a recurring theme that he sort of makes whatever song he comes out work for him. Um, yeah. You know, I do think that between the look and the song, uh, it's very easy to see why he appealed to kids of a certain age. You know, it's, it's a very kid-friendly uh, thing. Um, and, you know, like you said, too, I think I don't know if the song is memorable, but I would say that it's recognizable in its own way. Like, I don't associate it with L.A. Park, 
But the moment I heard it, I remembered it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is, you know, a production library song. When you have a song like this that wasn't made specifically for the wrestler in mind, you you do sort of lack that individual touch that an in-house composer would give a song to a wrestler. You look at Jim Johnston and how he made his most iconic themes. He did so by being in tune with the characters of, say, Austin or Rock or DX or whomever. With this song, we have a case of, A, it was not made with La Parca in mind. Um, like you said, it was used by Sabu earlier. And B, it's this kind of stereotypical white guy hard rock instrumental song. Yeah. It's being it's being paired with a dancing skeleton luchador from Mexico. And you might think at first that that these two things are are diametrically opposite, <laughs> but somehow they go together. And I think the reason why is that while there are other songs that on this episode that are better in touch with the representation of Ellie Park and his character, I think this song it still manages to do that because there's a lot of guitar riffing in this song, of course. Of course. And we know for a fact that Ellie Park can play a mean-ass chair guitar. <laughs> he, he does it for every single entrance, you know? And, yeah. and with a title as well, like Parental Advisory Explicit Acts, that suggests an in-your-face attitude, a wild card, a rebel against the man. La Parca, Ellie Park, whatever you want to call him, that guy has an in-your-face attitude. He's a wild card. Yeah. So this this song, while, again, it may not be the best representation of L.A. Park, he still made it work. He still found a way to get across his character with the song. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you hit on something that's really interesting, um, and it speaks again to Park as a performer. You know, WCW, I'm sure that they had no shortage of, you know, pre-written public domain type songs that you know were like you know latin rap number five or whatever you know mariachi music number six exactly Exactly. but they didn't give park one of those right there's something innate about him and about the way that he comes across where he zigs where everybody else zags you know i just sort of when all the luchadors came in to wcw at roughly the same time it's it's obvious that he stood out and he stood out as different and was treated different. I mean, not pushed differently, perhaps, but he's memorable. Whereas performers who are just as strong, if not stronger, in ring during that time period, like El Dandy, are, you know, basically forgotten. Mm. You you mentioned Zig instead of Zag. I can't help but think of of Laparca showing off his, I guess, his uniqueness in a way, uh, in his match against Goldberg. Yeah. And what I love so much about that match, and about La Parca specifically, is that it starts off with La Parca just smashing in the head Goldberg with a chair. <laughs> and, of, of course, it's Goldberg, so he shakes it off immediately. Yeah. And what does La Parca do? He doesn't cower away. He doesn't back up, you know, oh, put his hands up. Oh, please don't hit me, Goldberg. Please, please. What he does is he immediately turns around and struts away. Yeah. He struts away, 
turns back around on his one leg, you know, the little, little swivel thing he does, and then Goldberg just creams him with a spear. <laughs> Injures his leg, too. He, he tears uh, Parker's ACL at that yeah. move. And that's what I, that's so memorable that, that Park, instead of backing away like anyone else would do, he does what he would do, what his character would do. He struts away. Yeah, he doesn't care just, about Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's fantastic. I like to think that, uh, that that matches why Park does such an awesome spear now. That he's like, that really hurt. I better start doing yeah. my matches. <laughs> the power was transferred in the collision somehow, yes. His spear is very good. It is Goldberg levels of good. The other theme in this first category is the theme that Elliot Park used when he was in TNA for a little bit in 2004. Uh, a little disclaimer here. Uh, I could not find a clean version of this song, unfortunately. So I had to get a bootleg version off of YouTube. So just be aware of that, guys. Um, this is, of course, by Dale Oliver, and it's called My Fist. <laughs> again we have la park coming out to another hard rock instrumental and another song that was not his to begin with uh this actually was used by christopher daniels for the first few years of his career in tna this one it's a lot less dynamic than parental advisory is it's basically the same simple guitar riff over and over and over again and if you know your 90s progressive metal, like I do, and if you look at the title of this song, My Fist, then it wouldn't take you long to figure out that this is a ripoff theme of Stink Fist by Tool. I like Tool, I like that song, but this is just, you know, it's a completely forgettable wrestling theme. Uh, in one ear, out the other. And that makes sense, because L.A. Park, uh, you know, his own TNA run was itself in one ear, out the other. He he only wrestled like three matches for the company, uh, two of which were X-Division gauntlet matches. So I, I really don't have much else to say about this one, huh, JR? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I don't think that this song really fits L.A. Park tonally at all. You know, I think even when he's a heel character and he's, you know, violent and bad, he doesn't really strike me as a dark character in the way that, you know, like a, a Bray Wyatt or a Chris Daniels or something like that. Like, ooh, they may fit better uh, to a Tool ripoff song uh, than Park does. Because, like you said, I mean, there's nothing frog metal or doomy about L.A. Park at all. You know, he's he, he, there's nothing slow about him. 
he's very much a, a high energy performer and both his heel runs and his face runs are very much predicated on the idea that he's just the dude who thinks he's this like badass mofo you know and mm-hmm. uh, he, he is right <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically true that being said um i think that if you know you dig a little deeper and you look at the lyrics for stink fist for the actual tool song i think lyrically you can make a good number of parallels to la park and it sort of fits you know i mean the whole song of stink fist is metaphorically about someone who's you know losing the ability to get pleasure in the mundane things of life and needs to sort of continually push themselves further and further into extremes to get the same reaction out of themselves and in a lot of ways, I think that you can see that very same progression in L.A. Park's in-ring career, um, you know, where he's sort of continually seen him embrace more extreme styles and matches, you know, um, starting as sort of this happy-go-lucky character and then, you know, uh, having bloody Apuestas matches with El Santo, you know, and then, a, you know, a couple of really bloody matches with Ricky Banderas and then the Wagner feud, which is really, really bloody. And then now into the rush stuff. Where the rush, yeah. Yeah. Progressively become you know, not a deathmatch wrestler per se, but someone who's been more and more willing to just throw hands, you know, rather than the, the guy who struts or does anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, definitely. The, the fact that he's, you know, doing so many dives and, going through so many tables at his age is kind of evidence to that fact. A hundred percent. I mean, like you said, he's 52 years old. I mean, to put this in perspective, uh, he's the same age as the undertaker. Yeah. I mean, and uh, like, so, you know, we're, we're seeing two sides of the coin there in terms of someone who can really still go and, and someone who's clearly lost it a little bit, which they should. Right. Yeah, they're 52, you know, they're in their 50s and they've been wrestling for decades, for God's sake. I mean, I'm 34 and I hurt myself turning around in the car today, (laughs) you know, but like I do, I do lyrically, like I always picture L.A. Park in my head and I've I've made this connection. I wrote an article for Paste where I I made this metaphor um, and um, I think that I, I... thought about it originally for Masawa actually uh during Masawa's sort of later Noah runs but it I uh I say it for Park now because I think it fits that LA Park is sort of like that aging gunslinger where he's like too proud to just sort of like gracefully fade away then he's like going around and he's like someone needs to put me down like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just go out you know Mm-hmm. But like when it happens he'll sort of be grateful but he's gonna make somebody prove it you know that's why he's feuding with these guys that are younger than him like Rouge and whoever else you know yeah yeah and i think that the lyrics of uh stink fist in some way but musically the song is a miss for me mm-hmm. i was trying to think earlier if there were any connections between my fist this song and la park and all of a sudden, I remembered the fact that uh, Maynard James Keenan, lead singer of Tool, is actually a big wrestling fan huh? and, and a lucha fan as well. How about Because when he went on tour with his uh, band Pucifer a few years ago, his opening act was this lucha wrestling show called Luchafer. <laughs> so, yeah, so I do doubt that Dale Oliver was familiar with the personal interests of Maynard James Keenan and thought, <laughs> let's give this one to L.A. Park. He's a luchador. So, but I, I would probably wager the fact that 
Maynard does know L.A. Park and who he is, you know? So that is an extremely flimsy connection between the song and L.A. Park, I admit, uh, JR. But it's there nonetheless. Not so bad. I, I think you did a pretty good job. The second category of themes that we'll be looking at today is called Dancing with Fears in My Eyes. And if you get that reference, folks, congratulations, you get a nice gold star. Uh, these are songs that are dancey, but at the same time, quite spooky as well, much like L.A. Park himself. The first song is actually a real song called Dance with the Devil, uh, also called The Sixth Gate, that was uh, then remixed into a theme for L.A. Park. Uh, it's by a Belgian dance group called D-Devils, and because I couldn't find a specific title for this remix, I decided to just call it Dance with the Devil, L.A. Park Remixed. I think that's as good a title as any. Uh, thank you. Yes, thank you. about this is that right away it distinguishes itself from the previous two themes. This is not your generic hard rock instrumental. It's not your give a random guitar song to L.A. Park, who cares? You can tell right away that this song was made with L.A. Park in mind because we've got the creaky doors, we've got the howling wind, we've got the high-pitched scream, these are some spooky, scary sounds, and it's perfect because L.A. Park is a spooky, scary guy. Not just the outfit and the mask, but also the fact that he's dangerous and violent and uses you know, lots of weapons. And all of that danger and malevolence is amplified with the narration in the song, the, the, the deep, scary voice that speaks in Spanish. La hora de la muerte ha llegado porque la única y original L.A. Park está del lado oscuro. Tiemblen mugrosos infelices porque uno por uno me los llevaré a la tumba y seré su peor pesadilla. Which in English means the time of death has arrived because the only and original L.A. Park is from the dark side. Tremble unhappy filths because one by one, I will take you to the grave, and I will be your worst nightmare. That's quite the ominous mission statement there, I'd say. And then, of course, we get the uh, Vincent Price laugh, which 
foreshadows the song after this, uh, actually, and that leads us into the techno bit, uh, which I'll get to in a second there. But uh, JR, what are your thoughts on this opening bit here? Yeah, you know, I think that it's really interesting. And uh, like you said, it sort of foreshadows the next song a little bit. It's especially um, interesting or odd because in that next song, uh, his entrance, they always cut the the, the Vincent Price intro. Um, you know, it just sort of went straight into the song. Where here, the the intro is very obviously uh, a riff on that, uh, another one of Park's themes. Um, I think the actual song is a decent fit as well. It's sort of got this, um, you know, sandstorm style techno beat to it, you know? Um, I think energy-wise, that's a, a good fit for Park. I think that it's similar to the, the first WCW theme in some ways in terms of the the driving energy and the beat. I think that the overall song and the, the mood sound effects and the voiceover work really well to set a different style and mood for Park. It makes them come across as really threatening, but it doesn't lower the energy like the, the Tool Ripoff song does. Um, I think also, too, I mean, this song represents a portion of his career where he was sort of reinventing himself showing people in the audience that he's maybe no longer that happy-go-lucky performer that just, you know, uh, did his dancing spots and played the chair guitar. Um, so, while I mean, the, the song is not something that I would, like, listen to in my spare time, uh, I think it works really well as an entrance because it sets L.A. Park apart from other performers, which I suppose is uh, what you want out of an entrance theme. I will say that if you're going to go for... Uh, a real song that's been modified or remixed specifically for a luchador, uh, you can't beat Caristico's theme, which is one of the best theme songs of all time. But. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. My thing with the techno bit is that uh, it's meant to be dancey and have energy and have a beat and, and all that stuff. But I don't think that this techno is that bright and shiny techno. And upbeat, it's kind of gives me the same vibe as like, like a like '90s Eastern European like dark rave music, where it's all it's all yeah. red laser lights and black leather and concrete buildings. It, it this isn't you know I'm blue da ba di ba da da ba di. It's not that at all. This is it's kind of cold and it's like it, the techno music from uh like a 90s movie that featured a rave yes. where something bad happened yeah it, right? it doesn't have the uplifting spark it, it is cold and heartless which la park you know he can be when he's beating up his opponents absolutely but yeah like i said this this is definitely the first song of the episode that i think it truly feels like an la park song the combination of terror and dancing. And really, it's the only song as well that actually references L.A. Park because all the other songs are either real-life songs or just instrumentals. Yeah. Speaking of real-life songs, up next is another spooky dance song. Dare I say it's the ultimate spooky dance song. And if my good friend Chris Maffei is listening right now, then I'm dedicating this one to you, buddy, because this is none other than the legendary Michael Jackson. It's off of the big, big, big album, Thriller, and it's the title track, Thriller. 
know how much new ground we can cover here with Thriller because <laughs> it's been out for 35 years and it, it's a classic and everybody knows it and has talked about it so much. But, you know, we're breaking this down in relation to L.A. Park. So I'll, I'll say this. Like Dance with the Devil, this song combines two worlds, the spooky and the groovy. Except in this case, the way it does so is much different because... While it does have those scary sound effects at the beginning, like the howling wind, the creaking floorboards, the lightning, the wolves, most of that stuff is cut out because this version that he uses cuts out the intro. It just starts with the the synth buildup. Uh, so instead, you know, most of the spookiness in the song comes from the vocals, the lyrics. This is a horror-themed song. So the lyrics are all about horror and scary movies and all that stuff. It's close to midnight, something evil is lurking from the dark. Under the moonlight, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. You start to freeze as horror looks you right between your eyes. You're paralyzed because this is thriller. And it references aliens and zombies and creatures and death. And of course, there's the classic Vincent Price monologue at the end. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. So, while the song doesn't outright reference L.A. Park, it still does a good job of representing that aspect of his character, I think, JR. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we should sort of like retcon the the song thriller so that it is in fact about la park <laughs> but yeah i mean really like what can be said i mean everyone knows thriller right i mean it's perfect it's per it's a great it's one of the best pop songs ever written it works on so many levels for his character i mean we've talked a about a lot of these songs so far and you know we can't say it enough i mean la park at his heart when you just boil it down to the components He's a fucking skeleton man who can dance shockingly well. Yeah. <laughs> what better song is there for that, right? And Like, I just saw L.A. Park live uh, this past weekend, as we said. And after the match, he did, like, a 45-second dance break where, like, he did all the, like, he did the floss dance. He twerked. He did a spin a Rooney. Like, this is just stuff that L.A. Park does. Like, he loves to dance, so this song is perfect. Um, I would encourage everyone uh, who's listening to this to go on YouTube and uh, and search for the L.A. Park CMLL entrance from 2006. Yes. yes. That with a Michael Jackson impersonator. <laughs> um, and does a dance break with that, and it rules. Um, but, I mean, like, it, this also works because Park is in his own way this like genre transcendent star he's this like immensely recognizable silhouette in the same way that michael jackson is you know obviously not to the same cultural extent but in this bizarre little world of lucha libre or professional wrestling i mean he is a king just like mj is the king of pop so uh i also love how when he would come out to this song he would nod his head along to it. Like, he really felt it when he came out of the thriller. For good reason, too, because the dancey part of the song, it's like night and day with this and uh, Dance with the Devil. Because yeah. 
Dance with the Devil. It's stark and it's kind of cold and bare bones, no pun intended. Uh, it, it's just that that one tone over and over. Dun, 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 dun. With Thriller, the production is so much more complex. We've got guitars, we've got basses, synths, a horn section. We've got Michael Jackson and his voice and his spirit. The driving beat, the funky grooves, the big chorus. For a song that's about death, it's so full of life. Oh, yeah. And with L.A. Park, yes, he can be scary. Yes, he can be dangerous. He can be badass. But the man is also so charismatic and so zesty and so full of life himself that people latch on to him. And regardless, he's so full of soul and funk that just he exuberates this stuff. comes yeah. out of his pores. So, again, this song just does such a good job of representing that part of L.A. Park's persona. The, the dancing soul... That resides underneath the scary, bony exterior. Yeah, I mean, I think that that dichotomy not only is what makes Park so popular and so resonant, but it also serves to make the the times when he does get truly violent uh, pop even more. You know, I mean, you know, as someone who, you know, studies and thinks about music uh, as much as you do for this podcast and in your regular life, I mean... Um, you know, dynamics are are really what makes a song memorable and pop. You know, it, uh, Park is much more interesting as a performer because there's these peaks and valleys inherent inside him than a performer who's just like, I'm a badass all the time. It's what I do. I'm a badass, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I think Thriller uh, is a great metaphor for Park as a performer. Definitely, yeah. And I will, again, encourage people to check out that entrance. Because the song hits, and before he comes out, a Michael Jackson impersonator is on stage. Yeah. And he's Who's lip-syncing. good, by the way. He's great. He's lip-syncing and dancing tremendously yeah. with these, like, zombie backup dancers, like like Thriller. Yeah. And then Park comes out, and he dances with them. And like the pyros going off and people are cheering. It's uh it's amazing. I mean, the most like shocking thing of all time is that CMLL was able to find a good Michael Jackson impersonator. Because if there's any company in the world that would like skimp on something like that, it is them. <laughs> Category three, and this one has three songs in it. It's called Huesos Matones y Armonia. And these are Latin-centric hip-hop songs that L.A. Park has used in his career. First up is by a group called Control Machete, off the album Mucho Barato. This is a song called Comprendes Mendez. Que pronto te 
ausencia no te deje razón No sabes lo que tengo yo en la mente Es algo difícil pues corto corriente Ambiente ardiente y puño en la frente Humo que sube y no es suficiente Again, a change of category means we get a change of sound. Uh, we had the spooky dance music, now we have Latin hip-hop. So, Spanish vocals, naturally, a hip-hop percussion beat, some noises, a little bit of trumpet in the chorus, there you go. And I think with a song like this, you have to ask yourself, will it work as an entrance theme for LA Park because much like with his WCW theme, at face value, the aesthetic of LA Park doesn't necessarily match the aesthetic of this song. He's not a street thug, he's not a cholo, he's a skeleton man. Yeah, but you also have to remember, of course, the fact that you know LA Park isn't just scary as a Halloweenish figure. He's also scary because, like we said, He's a badass, and he is a gangsta in his own right, even if he doesn't look like a typical gangsta. So I guess the vocals are aggressive enough, and the beat has enough bump to it, where I suppose it could work as an L.A. Park theme, where he's a badass, but he also dances. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, I think that this is another song that sort of shows a progression for Park and his character. I mean... By this point, you know, like later in his career, the return to Mexico, like he's pretty self-assured at who he is as a performer. He no longer needs pomp and circumstance or anything like that. He just finds things that he identifies with, you know, lyrically or something, you know. And so this most notably in some ways is a song that talks about, you know, how crazy he is, how he doesn't need an excuse to fight with somebody. I mean, the lyrics, you know, pretty loosely translated by me. I mean, there, there's a, like, one of the lines in the chorus is, you know, look in my eyes, you'll see who I am. You, you know, that sort of thing. You'll see I'm crazy. Um, and, you know, Park, despite being masked, is a pretty straightforward personality. He's He is really great at sharing an idea of what his personality is. I mean, he is who he is, so to speak. And who he is is a guy who enjoys fighting who proudly talks about how he's too much of an asshole to wrestle for one company. You know, he's a guy that, you know, routinely talks like, you know, uh, talks about uh, Dr. Wagner and how much Dr. Wagner sucks. You, you know, I mean, he's, he doesn't pull any punches, you know? And I think the song, in some ways, speaks to it. I also think, you know, it's interesting for me um, listening to this song and knowing what I know about Park as a performer. I think that for a lesser performer, you know, someone could come out to this and it would be like perfectly fine heel music, you know, for like a, a younger, maybe more like overtly gangsta character, so to speak. But I think for Park, you know, there's something in him coming out to the lyrics um, that that's endearing, you know, that he could do it as a face. He could still get cheered from this song because with Park, you know, it's not braggadocio when he says these things. It's very matter of fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I took the theme of the song uh, to mean, you know, you should be aware of who other people are before you do something to them. Yeah. Because you never you, you never know 
who someone is unless you actually know them. Me comprendes, Mendez? Mírame a los ojos, verás lo que soy. Do you understand me, Mendez? Look into my eyes, you will see who I am. And when it comes to L.A. Park, you know, you could say that you shouldn't step to him unless you know who he is. Because on the surface, yes, he is the dancing skeleton man from WCW. Yes, yes, yes. He is cartoonish looking with the mask and the outfit, of course. But at the same time, he's an ass kicker. He's violent. He uses weapons. He does topes and flies off the top rope. It's appropriate that L.A. Park would use a song like this because, you know, it's a song about warning people not to judge a book by its cover because that book will fuck you up. (laughs) And and, and underneath, underneath the costume is a wrestler, is a guy who will fuck you up. So you best be aware of that fact when you get in the ring with him. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that, you know, it probably... Uh, on some level, you know, irks Park that, you know, he knows that he's this, you know, you know, truly tough guy, you know, uh, like last of a dying breed type tough guy. But he'll always be on some level in some places remembered as the guy who went to WCW and, you know, just sort of, you know, step and fetched around for a while, you know, and danced around. And, you know, I'll bet that when he you know, was using the song and coming back, you know, he was trying to remind this next generation who maybe only saw him do that one thing that, oh no, he can do other things. You, you know, mm-hmm. he can yeah. he can throw hands, you know? Yeah. Uh, the next song in the category is by Cartel de Santa. And if that name sounds familiar, actually, uh, to any Lucha fans out there, it's because that this is the same group that made the song Perros, which was the theme for the late Paraguayo Jr. and the Perros del Mal stable. The song that L.A. Park is using is off their self-titled album, and it's called Asesino de Asesinos. Asesino de asesinos como Ray los elimino Porque solo son la mierda estorbando en el camino Mi destino está en la cima por hacer mejores rimas Mientras que aquí en la tumba te bajan de la tarima No gastes la saliva queriendo competir Porque déleme a la C, yo soy el mejor en sí. Aléjate de aquí, que tu rap es asqueroso Pinche prieto piojoso, ya salte de ese pozo Diez años y no sabes cómo se hace buen hip hop Conozco principiantes que te dan una lección Escucha bien mi voz y ya calla te lo sico, pinche mico de circo que yo soy tu domador. Mi látigo es el flow que te causa esas heridas. Andas buscando fama, retando a la artillería, porquería que creías. Yo soy el real Mesías. Me tienes envidia porque yo soy el estigma, el enigma que simbra a todos tus. So, this one, in terms of how it's composed, it is very similar to Comprendes Mendez in terms of like the sparseness of the production, because it's just that one synth piano line, a, a percussion beat, vocals, and then of course like the record scratches at the end. And that's pretty much it when it comes to the makeup of the song. Um, now granted, this and Comprendes Mendez are just one type of subgenre, uh, Latin gangster rap. But I guess it just goes to show, uh, JR, that you don't need fancy schmancy production to make a wrestler seem menacing. Uh, you can keep it pretty simple if you need to. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I think that, 
there's something in this song and even in Caprendas Mendes that like uh, reminds me of uh, not just like the Latin gangster rap sound, but um, you know, like the early Scarface albums, the production is very similar, you know, that it's sort of got this, you know, very repetitive beat without samples that is sort of very, very driving, you know? Um, I think that, uh, you know, this song reminds me, you know, I, I said earlier to you that I, you know, listened to the Zack Sabre Jr. episode that you did with Joel, which I thought was really, really good. Um, and uh, I, I was reminded of that when um, I listened to this because, you know, you guys sort of talk about hip hop a little bit there. And you mentioned that hip hop as a genre, I think you said this particularly, that hip hop as a genre is one that works for wrestling in some way because the, the lyrics are inherently, um, you know, braggadocious, egotistical. Um, and I think that that works for, for Park. Um, I think musically that this beat is evocative of him. You know, he doesn't strike me as a performer who sort of inherently lacks rhythm or the inherent uh, coolness, for lack of a better word, that's necessary to effectively pull off this rap song. Um, lyrically, I think it's, you know, similar enough, again, to Caprendas Mendes. Um, and that, you know, it's sort of, you know, I mean, this one is very clearly more about how good somebody is at rapping, but I think parallel-wise, you can say, you know, oh, this is great in terms of, like, uh, it's it's great how, you know, no one can step to him, he's the best, that sort of thing. I mean, it makes sense for L.A. Park. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it works because he is who he is. You know, he's such a cool performer. He's proven that he'll get violent when he needs to. You know, these songs don't work unless you have a performer that has proven that they can back it up in the ring and the audience doesn't doubt that they can. And you never doubt it with L.A. Park. You know, he's a dude who punches fans when they yeah. try and take his mask off, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the song works for L.A. Park, just like I think Comprendis Mendes works for L.A. Park, you know, because... He has songs like Thriller that I associate so closely with him. These don't resonate with me as much necessarily. But, you know, hearing them, I can hear why he would come out to them. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, the difference between this and Comprendes Mendes, looking at the lyrics, this song is uh, a lot more caustic than Comprendes Mendes, I'd say. Yes. It's it's called Asesino de Asesinos, Killer of Killers. And it's it's a big hype-up song that disses all of the inferior rappers that can't hang with Cartel de Santa. And it's graphic, and it's kind of homophobic at times, and it does a lot of swear words and stuff. So it's meant to be deeply insulting to other rappers. Uh, in, you know, in wrestling, part of the, the gist of wrestling is, you suck, I'm the best. You know, that's braggadocio. Again, it, it, that's the, the common link there. I'm so good at this, you are not. And I'm going to rub your face in it, and I'm going to beat you up. So I think uh, while you know this song may not resonate with you in terms of L.A. Park, and may not for me as well, I'd say as far as a wrestling theme is concerned, then it works in that regard, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, like, uh, did, where, where did Park come out to this? Just indie companies, I guess? Uh, I think some, uh, I think so. I don't remember where exactly, but... Yeah. I mean, like, I think that it fits the, it fits the, the venue too. If it's like, if you use this for indie dates or for smaller companies, you know, like yeah. it, it works in a smaller venue for me 
Whereas, you know, Thriller or the last scene that we'll do to me work on a, on a larger stage. Mainstream scale, yeah, definitely. Because yeah. they're mainstream songs as well, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Uh, the last theme in this category is by Daddy Yankee, and it's off of his album Barrio Fino. This is his big hit single, Gasolina. Selena, we're taking a sidestep here away from gangster rap to a different kind of Latin hip-hop called reggaeton. Uh, reggaeton originated in Puerto Rico in the early 90s, and it was because of guys like Daddy Yankee that it crossed over into the mainstream here in the States in the early 2000s, uh, especially with this song, Gasolina. This is a top 40 hit, and it's actually the first reggaeton song to be nominated for a Latin Grammy for a record of the year. So this song is a pretty big deal, and comparing it to the previous two songs, I'd say the most noticeable difference here is the atmosphere. It, it's not the most complicated, complex song in the world, you know? It, it's a few programmed beats, some rapping, some oh, oh in the background, and you're off to the races. But even that is enough to give it that extra bounce and that, that extra upbeat oomph that separates it from Comprendes Mendes and Asesino de Asesinos, which are kind of more grounded, kind of you know, more dour songs, I'd say. Uh, this is not, you know, a hard-ass gangster song. Gasolina is a party song. It's feel-good. It's, it's catchy as all hell. And it brings people together because people sing along to it and they dance to it. And who else brings people together? via the magic of dancing, JR? Why, none other than our good friend, L.A. Park. Yeah, I would agree with you. And uh, so, uh, Gasolina, to me, is like one of those, like, absolutely safe songs, like the Humpty Dance, that, like, it's in that rare category where if you put this on at a wedding, people are going to start dancing, right? <laughs> and, uh... Like, honestly, like, I feel as though that is the exact reason why L.A. Park picked this as an entrance theme for a few shows, probably, because he knew that if he put this song on, people would cheer and get into it, right? <laughs> so it was sort yeah. of like a manufactured, I'm over immediately song. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think that character-wise I can say anything that this, uh, that, like, ties into L.A. Park. You know, L.A. Park is... Not really, no. Yeah. He's not a girl that likes to cruise up and down the streets or no, you know, no. maybe he really likes the drink gasolina, uh, which is very popular in Puerto Rico, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that he's just, I mean, pop. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could look at it as the song is about going out and having fun and, you know, cruising around looking for a good time. And and when you go to a wrestling show, you want to do that, too. You want to have fun. So while this song, it doesn't have the intimidation factor of other songs, certainly, or the spooky factor either, I think it could still kind of work for L.A. Park in the sense that when he comes out, it's party time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's nice to to not have to forget that. This is like the Chikara song for L.A. Park. It's the nonviolent version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not that I would think Gasolina fits in at Chikara. But... Uh, probably not, no, but... <laughs> I don't think so, no. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, the last category of the episode has a very simple title. It's called Bad to the Bone. And... That's not just a clever pun, folks. All right, it's literally just the song "Bad to the Bone," uh, which L.A. Park uh, uses now as uh, his main theme. This is, of course, by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. It's none other than "Bad to the Bone." <laughs> this song a thousand times jr i'm sure you've heard this song a thousand times i think everybody's heard this song a thousand times in their life it's been in so many different things uh terminator 2 problem child family matters uh the 2001 classic joe dirt Uh, the song is a cliche at this point and yet and yet i can't tell a lie i do enjoy this song quite a bit uh, the, the, the nasty bluesy guitar riffs, the sweaty saxophone, the lyrics that are, are cheesy as all hell. I mean, this song is quite cheesy, of course, but you know me, JR. I don't mind a bit of fromage, a bit of queso in my musical diet. Uh, chances are you may not feel the same way as me, but I'll, I'll let you expound your thoughts here on Bed of the Bone. Oh, I mean, I think that this song is great for L.A. Park. I'm not sure that I like it better than Thriller, but it's close. Um, same. Yeah, same. I, I think that it works on a bunch of levels. You know, I mean, first off, it's a great pun, obviously. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it, it speaks to the inherent ridiculousness of the L.A. Park character, which I think is important. But also, you know, this song is absolutely something that a 52-year-old man would think, like, this is what a badass comes out to. <laughs> and the song isn't actually badass, but that 52-year-old man could whoop the shit out of me, so I'm not going to tell him it's not badass. I won't argue with the guy. <laughs> I won't argue with him, right? So maybe it is badass. I don't know, you know? Um, from a dynamic standpoint, uh, this song works really well. 
for this period of Park's career. You know, it's less frenetic. I'm not saying that he's slowed down as a performer, but, you know, physically he's different now than he was in 1996. Absolutely. Probably 100 pounds heavier. Um, you know, I think he sort of saunters out to it. He doesn't do the chair guitar or bang his head or anything like that to try and pump up the crowd. This is who he is, you know? They're going to cheer for him. Um, yeah, all you... All you need to hear is ba-na-na-na-na-na. Absolutely, yeah. Ba-na, and you, A, you know the song, and B, you know, okay, here we go. Yep. Here we go. For sure. I mean, you mentioned earlier the the Jim Johnson documentary uh, where, uh, you know, he was talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme song and, uh, you know, how he tried to, like, make Stone Cold's theme, you know, the same rhythm of Stone Cold walking when he was coming out, you know? And I, I think that's really true for Park now as well. You know, I can picture in my head L.A. Park sort of just sort of slowly and, you know, smugly, you know, walking his way down to the ring while this plays in the background, you know? Definitely, yeah. I mean, we've seen with most of the L.A. Park themes here that they're trying to get across the point that L.A. Park is a badass. Absolutely. He's cool. He's dangerous. He's the man. And, and this song, corny and played out as it is, it does ooze so much confidence. It, it, it oozes the man. Yeah. The uh, the Elvisy swagger in Thorogood's vocals, uh, the braggadocio Lothario lyrics, the sultry grit in the guitar sound. Again, the saxophone. This is this is very much a walk with purpose, hold your head up high, puff out your chest kind of song and L.A. Park is 100% that kind of guy he is so confident and full of himself I mean he you know he probably wouldn't be strutting around in like 80 different companies if he didn't have the confidence so playful puns aside here bad to the bone is a perfect fit for L.A. Park I think yeah for sure I also I mean this song does have a pretty good wrestling pedigree I mean um but Chris Adams and uh, um, uh, Gina Fernandez came out to it in world class for a while, I believe. Oh, this, this um, has been everywhere. Not, not just wrestling yeah. movies, TV shows, commercials. This is everywhere. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, so I, I always picture them and now I picture Park. I mean, uh, three great performers. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that with all of this stuff, you know, and it, it's really present here in Bad to the Bone. And it, it, I've mentioned it throughout. But with a lot of these songs, I think that you get a real sense that L.A. Park has an innate understanding of how to play off the musicality of his entrance themes and how that music influences an audience's perception of him as a character and a performer. Um, I think that he's really, really good and one of his strengths. And maybe this is what... Um, why Joe Lanza said the mood immediately changes when he comes out, because I think that he's really good at physically immediately setting the mood as a performer and tying it in with the music that's playing. You know, he's never doing anything that uh, goes against the music that's playing for, for his entrances. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. He, he knows how to read a room and how to play to the audience because He's not dumb, you know, he, he's a veteran of the game. 
And he's yep. so in tune with his character that yep. he can come out to Thriller or Bad to the Bone or Comprendez Mendez and he can make it work. That's how good he is. Yeah. I mean, it's it. you really get the different sides of his character with each different song. I, I It's really remarkable. I mean, and it uh, a lot of it does boil down to the fact that despite the fact that he's a man in a head-to-toe skeleton outfit, you always get a sense of who he is. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that was our look at the themes of L.A. Park. And uh, as we wrap up here, Jr., it's, it's really amazing to see that L.A. Park is not only still relevant in 2018, he's still just massively popular. You know, America... Mexico, wherever he goes, people want to see him wrestle. And the guy is a marquee wrestler at 52 years old. And that is not an easy thing to do. It it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of skill, and a bit of luck, of course, too, to A, still be in good enough shape to wrestle full-time like he does, and B, to still be a main event player. Yeah, There are not that many guys in wrestling who you can say that about. Oh, no, absolutely not. When they reach their 50s, nonetheless. So I just want to say, in closing here for me, that I hope that Elliot Park keeps this hot streak going as long as he can. He's got the world on a string right now. And anywhere he goes, anyone he wrestles, people will take notice. And they will show up and they will support him. Uh, Which is a a tremendous thing, really, considering that the man has no muscles or skin or, or organs. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, JR, any final thoughts on Ellie Park? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say to people who think that, um, well, maybe I would say that it's it's a bit of a misnomer if you think that 2018 is like an L.A. Park revival or renaissance. And I would say that if you've enjoyed watching L.A. Park in 2018 or you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, I would, if I were you, I would go back and watch many of his matches from this decade because I would say that you can, there's probably only one year of this decade where I would say LA Park did not have a viable match of the year candidate. Um, that in the early part of the 2010s, the matches he had against Ricky Banderas or El Messias were match of the year quality. His feuds with Wagner all had match of the year quality stuff, and his feud with Roosh, which has been going on for the past three years has had match of the year quality stuff. So if um, you think that the stuff he's doing now is really good, go on YouTube and take a journey back eight years. And you'll see that, that he is on the short list as someone who is one of the best performers going from the 2010s. And watch the Michael Jackson entrance folks. Come on. Yeah. You'll thank us later. You'll thank us later. Even if he was terrible, just that entrance, just that alone, hall of fame worthy, just for that yep. alone. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of music of the mat. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, thank you, JR, for being here. Uh, this was a ton of fun having you on the show, chatting about LA park and his music. Uh, anything you want to plug, just go right ahead. Uh, I'll say this, um, my, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned the podcast that I do with Stephen Graham, um, uh, who booked this, uh, sort of a lighthearted look at, um, at fan submission of some of the, 
worst and most bizarre things that have happened in wrestling. Uh, we it's not really wrestle crap. We we try to be positive and try to to add context. Uh, so, uh, but we keep it lighthearted. If you if you want to listen to that, that's on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Um, I also write every once in a while uh, about lucha. Um, I should have a new article on PWO very shortly. So by the time you listen to this, it's probably up there. So you can go read it. Um, and uh, I don't know if you're a literary agent. I have a novel that I'll sell you, I guess. that's also on pro wrestling. So I don't know. Get at me, I guess. I'm on Twitter at Wrestling Bubble. And Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, home to a bunch of great podcasts like the Voices of Wrestling flagship, the Super Jcast, Everything Evolves, Lucha of the Hidden Temple, Brit Rez Roundtable, and plenty more. Check them all out at VoicesOfWrestling.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Go to the Voices of Wrestling forums to find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes, voicesofwrestling.com slash forum. And of course, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, etc., etc. JR, again, this was an absolute blast, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing this again in the future. Yeah, when we do clavicle, right? A whole episode about clavicle. I'm penciling it in right now. As we speak. Okay. <laughs> okay, for J.R. Goldberg, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.